But I thought if they can do that in their own way, why not? Welcome back for another episode of the Leader of Learning podcast, the show where educators can come find inspiration to transform education through effective leadership. I'm your host, Dan Krinas. Let's get started. And we are back with another episode of the Leader of Learning podcast, episode 18. Thanks for joining me. In this episode, we have an amazing guest and a great conversation, a really important topic, and one that I am very passionate about, and that is student-centered learning and and moving our classrooms toward being more student-centered. My guest on this episode, Rochelle Denae Poth, is not only a friend of mine and someone whom I've met in person several times and had the pleasure of speaking with and collaborating with, but she is an amazing educator, an award-winning educator. She's a Spanish and STEAM teacher, and yes, I do ask her about that in this interview, at Riverview Junior Senior High School in the Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania area. She's also an attorney and earned her Juris Doctor degree from Duke. Kane University School of Law. She was recently selected as the 2017 Outstanding Teacher of the Year by the Pennsylvania Association for Educational Communications and Technology, or the Pennsylvania ISTE affiliate. She has been selected by the National School Boards Association as one of the 20 to watch in 2017. And most recently, she was just named Edmodo's U.S. Ambassador of the Year. So I welcome in Rochelle, and I hope you enjoy this interview. How are you doing, Rochelle? I am doing great today, Dan. Thanks. How about you? Awesome. Well, thanks. Uh, thanks so much for joining me. I am doing well. And uh, just to get started here, for the listeners' sake, if you could introduce yourself, who you are, where you are, and uh, what you do in the education world. All right. So I am a foreign language teacher. I have been teaching at my school, Riverview, which is pretty close to Pittsburgh for the last 21 years. And in that time, I taught at first French and Spanish, but the last five or six years I've been teaching mostly Spanish. And the past three years, I've been teaching a course to seventh and eighth graders. Uh, It's focused on STEAM. The first two years, I taught them um, hummingbird robots. And then uh, the last year and a half, I've been teaching pretty much anything that's emerging technology. So it's a lot of fun to create with a lot of the things that are emerging, especially with AR and VR and teaching students how to code and you know game-based learning. So it's a lot of fun. Um, keeps me very busy, but it's, it's a lot of fun to learn with them too in, in the process. I always find that so interesting about you. And, and I, at first I thought you weren't going to mention this, the STEAM teaching because you introduced yourself as uh, a foreign language teacher. But I find that so interesting how you teach foreign language and uh, a STEAM course or some STEAM courses. <laughs> yeah, I'm really lucky because I am an early 80s child. And so when the computers started to appear in the classrooms in the early 80s, I was drawn in immediately. And ever since then, I've just been amazed with the possibilities of technology. And when our school started to make some renovations in our library to make it more of a a STEAM maker space, and they integrated the arts into it, I was asked to teach this course in STEAM. So that's kind of how I got my start with it. But your reaction is very similar to what most people say when they find out that I do teach both. They're like, how do those, like, how did that happen? Mm -hmm. And that's how it happened. And I'm really glad that it did. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned that. I think I'm similar in the sense that, um, you know, being an early 80s child myself, like that's I, I just 
love technology and, and somebody, you know, I, I have uh, colleagues in my school who I help as an instructional coach. And, and so as an instructional coach, my job is not all about technology, but that's a lot of what I do. And I've had teachers ask me, like, how do you know so much about this stuff? And how did you get so good at it? I don't know. I just I took an interest in it. Um, you know, I even had a job one time as a salesperson at a retail electronics store, and that's where I learned a lot about technology and different products. And um, I don't know, I just I just have a real interest in it and passion for it, so it makes sense. But in your case, it's cool that you were able to parlay that into, or someone at your school saw that you'd be able to to teach classes like that. Yeah, it was uh, it was an interesting start with how what I was going to teach was the hummingbirds because when they said hummingbirds, when my principal said you'll be teaching hummingbirds, I didn't know what hummingbirds were aside from the hummingbirds you might see outside flying around. Uh, so it did take a little bit of investigation and and some work to get started, but you do really learn so much faster whenever you're interacting with the students when they're learning something new. Yeah. So. Um, switching gears for a second away from maybe all of that techie stuff, um, I wanted to ask you a question and I'm going to give a quick shout out to uh, another podcast buddy of mine, Brad Schreffler, who runs the uh, Planning Period podcast because he asks the same questions to every guest. And I'm going to kind of steal one of his questions because I think it's perfect for you. Um, you you're an, an interesting educator, obviously, in the sense that you teach those very different subject areas. I also know about you, not to make you embarrassed or anything, but I also know about you that you're, you're an award winning educator. And so I, I guess I wanted to ask you, what do you do that you wish all teachers did? Oh, that's a that is a tough question. <laughs> I know it's tough. It kind of puts you on the spot, but I'm really intrigued by yeah. your answer. So, well, you know. I have an answer to that, but I'll, I'll say this first. Like, I'm not the teacher now that I was, say, five or six or seven years ago. And I was basically just doing what I thought I needed to do in terms of teaching. But last, about a year and a half ago, I noticed a decline in student engagement and different activities and just some other things I was, I was picking up on. And last summer, I did a lot of reflecting and I, I came back with this school or at the start of the school year deciding I needed to do things differently, but I didn't really know what. So I would say, I wish that all teachers would just take that time to reflect on, like, look at your classroom, even just take like a pause, like a dramatic pause someday and look around and see what you notice um, and think about what are some of the things that are taking up most of your time or taking away from the time with the students. And it all comes down to the reflection. So that's that's part of my answer. But the other part of that, too, is relationships. I, I wish that all teachers had enough time or took the time to, you know, make opportunities for students to interact with each other and to build those relationships, but as a whole for the classroom. So I'm going to go with the answer. The letter starts or the words start with, with R mm-hmm. <laughs> for both of them. Yeah. So reflection and relationships. I like that a lot. As a matter of fact, um, I just, I was just having a conversation with my wife who's not an educator um, yesterday about how important it is to build relationships with students. And, and she who's not in education, um, you know, wishes that, more educators did those sorts of things. But I really like what you said, too, about the reflection piece. And I know that I was working with a teacher at my school last year who was in her first year. And I was amazed, actually, at already how reflective she was. And so sometimes I wonder whether it's the person or whether it's kind of their training and how they've come into, uh, you know, the being an educator and the profession of uh, teaching. But um, I think some people, are, it comes easy to them, it's natural to them, and some other people, like uh, like maybe in your case, it took a little bit more time to get there. 
Yes, it definitely did. And so um, that that piece about reflection, right? I think you were kind of leading to this, and, and actually, uh, I wanted to ask you about it anyway. So, how have you been able then to provide more student centered opportunities in your classroom? You said you wanted to engage your students more and bring them into the fold more. How have you done that? Well, it started about a year ago, where I was just I was really struggling. I, I was trying to do so many different things, and it seemed like sometimes it would work, but it would fade off really quickly. And, you know, I'd ask questions in class or students would ask questions in class. And when I would answer the one question, I would lose the in- the interest and the engagement of the rest of the class. And so I reached out to a lot of the members of my PLN asking, you know, are you experiencing similar things? Are you seeing similar things in your classrooms or in your school? And then over the summer, like I said, I, I had some moments of reflection, a big time that came when I spoke at Edmodocon. And after that, I came back to my classroom and I thought I have to do something different. So one morning, probably third week in September, I looked at my classroom with my desks all lined up in neat rows. And I thought I can't take the rows anymore. So I just pushed the desks into clusters of two or three desks. And I think one had left over a group of four. And my students came in and looked around the room and they said, what is going on? I said, I'm not really sure. I just know that I don't like you sitting in rows, looking at me anymore. And they said, well, where do we sit? I said, just pick a spot. Um, So that was the start. And then after that, I started to set up some stations in the room, create different activities for each of the groups, and then really got myself out of the front of the room. I had been moving away from the front of the room for a while, uh, but not as much as I needed to. And so I started to notice that by setting up these individual groups and just moving around and interacting with each group and letting the students kind of take over and just go on their own pace, it it made such a difference so much, in fact, that students in the prior year who, you know, would make comments or things about the, the class or the activities weren't working were coming in at different times, not even during class, to tell me how much better they liked it, how much more they were learning, and how much um, more helpful it was. And so when I started to hear that, I started to realize, okay, this is the start of the changes I need to make. So it doesn't need to be so structured. And it can be uncomfortable because you feel like, I felt like, I had to be the one in the front of the room. I have to be the one talking the whole time. And I realized I, I don't have to be. And the benefits that have come since then are just proof to me, okay, you're moving in the right direction. Is it perfect? Probably and most definitely not, but it's an improvement. And that's all that you know we can ask for is just to do better each time, each day, and then take time to reflect and, on what is and what is not working. The Leader of Learning podcast is a proud member of the Education Podcast Network. The Education Podcast Network, podcasts for educators, podcasts by educators. For more great podcasts, visit edupodcastnetwork.com. The Leader of Learning podcast is also a proud member of Voice Ed Radio, changing the way you talk about education. To listen to more great education content, please visit voiceed.ca. Yeah, that's really cool. And, you know, one of the words that I picked up on that, that you said in your answer that I find to be um, important here is that word comfortable or, or uncomfortable, you know, and, and you mentioned how not only was it uncomfortable for you because you hadn't been used to teaching that way, but it was uncomfortable at first for your students because they're not used to learning that way. But, uh, you know, I'm realizing more and more all the time. And so I'm glad that you brought that up, that uh, in order for people to kind of change and get out of 
um, these old school instructional ways and, and educational ways that may not be working for today's students, uh, it's okay to, to get uncomfortable and it's okay to fail as long as, you know, like you've already said, you're reflecting and if something works, that's awesome. If something doesn't work, then, hey, how do we improve it? Or if it's like kind of working, then great. Well, maybe it you know, takes more time or maybe we need to just tweak it up a little bit. So I agree with that a lot about just, you know, it's okay to be uncomfortable for a little bit. If you could talk to me, because I, I know that you're really into this and you're becoming uh, what I think is really almost an, an expert level at, at this. So talk to me a little more about blended learning in your classroom. I wouldn't know if I would call myself an expert on this. Oh, but come on, come on. Don't be modest. It's actually quite funny because probably, I think the first time I went to ISTE, which was 2015 when it was in Philly, I did a poster session and somebody came over and I was explaining some of the things I do in my classroom and, and the woman said, oh, you're app smashing. I said, I'm what? And she said it again. I said, I, I don't know what that means. And she said, well, this is what you're doing. I went, oh, I didn't realize that. And it's the same thing with blended learning. When I was doing some different activities in my classroom, I wasn't trying to, okay, today I'm going to do some blended learning and go with it. I just started to do some activities and arrange things in a different way that I guess ended up being called blended learning or they were blending. I, I was implementing a blended learning method. But for me, when I first started, I wasn't doing it right. I was trying more so to do like a flipped classroom and assigning a video, having the students watch it at home, come back the next day in class and talk about it. And that was the way that we got started. But what I quickly found out and what most people probably would figure out really quickly too, is that there was no accountability for if the students actually had watched the video because they could ask friends or get enough of a summary, depending on what the video was, to get by in a classroom discussion. So when I looked a little bit more into it, I found some different tools that you could use to put in that, that element of accountability. Things like Edpuzzle or PlayPosit, where you can assign the video and put some questions or different uh, open-ended responses in uh, and stop it so that the students cannot forward the video, that you can use those for the accountability. So using tools like that, um, also even some of the game-based learning tools where you can have students do you know, some of the activities outside of the classroom uh, and then come back and use that time in class where you can really work with them either one-on-one -on -one or in small groups. I just found that it started to work so much better because not only did I have more time to work with the students, they had more time to interact with each other and they weren't just sitting and listening and passively learning. They were able to collaborate more together. And um, a friend of mine, Aaron Sams, had spoken, boy, it was a couple of years ago now, and he just talked about when he would do some flipped learning that sometimes teachers will tend to assign more challenging activities for students to do outside of the class. Or, I'm sorry, let me take that back. <laughs> he will assign more practice outside of the classroom and then do the more difficult activities within the classroom because then the teacher is there to kind of facilitate or the peers can help facilitate too. But there's there are so many different ways you can go about blending your classroom with, if you do assign something like an interactive video lesson, if you set up stations in your classroom, which is what I've been doing some of this year, uh, I don't think that there's really a wrong way to go about it. Anytime you're mixing that online with the traditional in-class discussion and instruction, um, I think it's a benefit for the students regardless of how you do it. 
Yeah, and uh, just to clarify any confusion that uh, any listener may have, in, in case you're not familiar with that term blended learning, I think Rochelle's explanation of it right there was was a really great one. It's, essentially, it is what it says. It's you're blending that online or technology uh, technological learning with those you know tools like some of the ones that Rochelle mentioned, and and but you're still bringing in the more quote unquote human elements of, of education and instruction with class discussions, you know, maybe Socratic seminar or, you know, any, any small group work, let's say. So you're, you're not just using a technology tool just to use the tool. You're really making it an instrumental part of the learning that's happening, but also blending it with some other sound instructional practices. And uh, if I could kind of put you out there, you know, if anyone listening has more questions, about whether it be flipped learning or blended learning, please reach out to either Rochelle or me and uh, we could talk you through it and, and make you a little bit more familiar with and comfortable with those terms and concepts. Uh, so back to the last couple of questions I have for you. You mentioned blended learning. You mentioned going more you know, toward a student-centered approach in your, in your teaching and, and in the way that you conduct your classes. How have you, let's say, brought more of the student's voice into those processes? Well, a lot of the time when we do projects or most recently, the last two years, we've been doing project-based learning in some of my classes. Um, just by giving them choices, I, I used to hand them the specific rubric with all the requirements and guidelines because for years I thought I was doing project-based learning. But two years ago, after um, meeting Don Wetrick and reading a couple of books like Pure Genius um, and a few other books about project-based learning, I realized, okay, I was not doing PBL. I was doing learning based on projects instead. Um, and also I read the book Launch by A.J. Giuliani and John Spencer, and I read a quote in there and it hit me. And it said, if you assign a project and get back 30 of the same thing, it's not a project, it's a recipe. And I thought, you know what, that's so true. I've been telling these students exactly what to create, how to create it, and that's not allowing for any authentic, meaningful learning. And so I started to back away from such stringent guidelines, like it has to be done this way with this. And I gave them very loose requirements because there are certain things with Spanish or uh, whatever the class may be that you want the students to show that they understand the concept or they can conjugate the verbs. But I thought if they can do that in their own way, why not? So instead of giving them the tool that they need to use, I open it up to a variety of different tech tools and it's based on their comfort as well. And I just let them choose whichever one they want to do. And it doesn't even have to be technology. It can be done on paper with crayons or color pencils too. But just letting the students decide how to show what they've learned has led to so much more motivation when they're doing the projects, but also more importantly to the retention of whatever it is that they're learning because they can connect what they created and it's so much more authentic for them to relate back to that project as opposed to the way that I wanted them to do it. Yeah, no, I can't agree more. Uh, I think allowing students to prove what they've learned in a way that uh, is comfortable for them and makes sense to them and, and they choose is really, really important. Um, and so finally, what you already mentioned that 
you know, kind of moving to this more student-centered approach has allowed uh, the students in your class to, you know, bring in more of their voice and be a little bit more engaged. Are there any other, let's say, results that you've found from making your classroom more student-centered? You know, has it improved the students' grades? Has it, you know, allowed them to be more enriched? Like, what, what would you say, uh, has it made your teaching easier? What What are the results? Uh, well, I would, I'll go backwards. I would not say that it made it easier because in all honesty, it is a lot more work to, at least with the way I've been doing this, to come up with stations. And now we don't do the stations every day. I mean, I rotate around a lot, but I moved so much more. And I, on some days I am giving like one-to-one instruction because I can, because they're in smaller groups. I can have the, you know, the, the focused interaction with specific group of students or one student. So it's not that it lessens it, but it makes it, I mean, the relationships in the the classroom and our collaboration, everything is, is so much better this year because I'm the only Spanish teacher. So the students I have now, I will have for however long they take Spanish. And I've seen such growth in them in terms of you know, the Spanish, of course, the language that they're learning, but even in terms of their interactions with each other. And whenever they're put into these groups, which I, I mix them up, I have their names on cards and they come in and they're in, in different groups, different times. It really builds those relationships. And so one of the positives that I've really seen is their social and emotional learning skills, their their ability to interact with one another, to communicate, to step in. You know, if a student has a question before, I'd be going across the room to answer. But now I see them stepping in to help, you know, each other. And so there's so much more involved in whenever you set it up this way that you give the students control. And, and it's, it's fun to see their interactions with each other, with one another, but it's also great to have the time to move around the classroom, but it's just in their engagement as well. That's another thing. So the biggest concerns I had about a year ago are, have been resolving along the way. And I certainly have room to grow on this and some things to change, but um, keep moving forward. Yeah, I think that's great. I mean, I, so I, I think what I heard you say was it hasn't necessarily made the the instruction or the planning easy, but it's improved that that personalized learning and the differentiation that that you're able to provide, even sometimes one to one with students, which I think is amazing, and uh, and that it's really helped in terms of the relationship building, not only between the teacher and the students, but the students themselves, and even bringing in elements of social emotional learning i, th- I think that I think that's awesome you know i think that uh, sometimes when when we talk about student centeredness or even blended learning you don't necessarily realize how some of those byproducts can be as a result of making those you know I say fairly simple. They're probably not that easy, but those little changes to uh, the way that you conduct the instruction in your in your classroom. I want to thank you so much for the time that you've given me today. Before we go, if you could just let listeners know where they can find you and how they could search for you and connect with you, that'd be awesome. All right. Well, it's pretty easy because my standard username or handle for everything is R-D-E-N-E-915. So if you want to connect with me on Twitter, that's what it is for the handle. My Gmail is rdene915 at Gmail. And I have posted blogs I've written also on rdene915.com. So any of those, I'd be happy to help with any questions or give some examples or anything anybody would need. Perfect. I will, uh, of course, add that information to the show notes for this episode. And uh, again, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Thank you. I had a great time talking with you. 
My thanks once again to Rochelle for not just giving me this time, but really her amazing thoughts and reflections on her own practices and maybe what teachers out there could be and should be doing to be able to move toward providing more student-centeredness in their classrooms. If you're not already connected with Rochelle, I highly recommend you get connected with her. Just remember rdene915, so R-D-E-N-E 915 is her handle on Twitter and other social media. It's also her website, rdene915.com. Look her up and get some amazing ideas and inspirations. Well, that's a wrap on this episode. Thank you so much for listening. If you haven't done so yet, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on your favorite way to listen. Also, if you like what you heard, please recommend this podcast to other educators, leaders, friends, or anyone you think would love listening and learning. And don't hesitate to leave a positive review on iTunes or whatever service you use to listen. For more information, head over to leaderoflearning.com. There you can also find the Leader of Learning blog, ways to connect on social media such as Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Boxer, sign up for our newsletter, and even how to purchase Leader of Learning merchandise. Thanks again, and remember, no matter who you are or where you are, you too can be a leader of learning.